Oh my, that's your fall? That's your, like, fallback brain thought, is Tahiru? Well, do- it doesn't surprise me. Cruise, you mean parts this- of the Nile? Does it say where the jungle... Yeah. Does it say it's what jungle the, the cruise is? The Amazon River. It's it's in the Amazon. Parts of the Amazon. Conquistadors of the Amazon. Conquistadors of the snake guy and the bee guy and the mud guy and the tree guy. Tree guy! Was there a fifth? A fifth? I don't know. Was there another conquistador? Yeah, but we can't talk about who it is. He didn't have any superpowers. He was lame. He got stabbed through the heart and didn't die. Yeah. Like, I'm counting that as a superpower. It would be wild if the dude who fell over after that scene banged his head and died. <laughs> just, just out of no, just out of nowhere. Million Dollar Baby, that guy. That'll do. That's a Clint Eastwood movie, isn't it? Million Dollar Baby. He hangs I out like with a... Alright, well ladies and future boys, welcome to the School for Wayward Nerds, the only podcast with weird stretch marks forming on its brain. Because it's bigger than yours. Not just visualise it and be upset. Uh, my name is Toby DePolo and this week we had failed to get multiple movie topics together. It left me with a pretty good writer's block. Um, so to try and get my dumb fingers moving on the keyboard again, I was going to start to write about... A li- I was just going to do like a fake practice episode um, about the like clockwork Queens of the Stone Age video. Um, but I was thinking about music and movies and even not writing that practice one, just kind of dawdling. Yeah. Procrastination. Yeah. And while thinking about movies and music, a particular trilogy came to mind. Um, you see in 1998's Cowboy Bebop's theme song, um, the quote is three, two, one, let's jam. This is not a countdown. No, sir. This is actually the order of best to worst movies in the dollar trilogy. Probably. Um, uh, I am joined by producer Kyle. I am here. Mm-hmm. Uh, before we go into this movie, what were your blind impressions? What did What did you know about the good, the bad, and the ugly? Which yeah, I should mention we're covering. Holy shit, these notes are bad. Yeah, it's the one with all the tunes. Yeah. It's got the main tune, and then it has the tune that's on all the TikToks six, maybe two months ago. Yeah. But that's it? Yeah. Hmm. That's, that's the end of my knowledge. Because I don't... Did you know of it as that Clint Eastwood one? Because that's about where I was. I didn't know there was three of them. I know that Clint Eastwood was popular. Oh, that's good enough. For for westerns. Yeah, cool. Yeah, I'd always thought of it as just the cowboy movie. Yeah. Um, Which is a broad statement, but, you know, like, most Jonah Hex artists are pulling from Clint Eastwood directly. It's referenced a shit ton in Back to the Future 3. Any Mexican standoff, I figured, sort of started from this movie, too. Or at least this was the one that, like, really popularized to them. If a cowboy was being referenced in any way, I felt like it came from this movie. It was just, like, that one. Yeah. Like how every space thing is probably Star Wars-based at this point. It, it falls into two categories, Wars and Trek. Mm. That's, all, that's all you're getting. Um, but yeah, it might be the definitive Western now, but it was critically panned. Did you know that? All good movies are. Um, yeah, that's an ongoing thing, isn't it? Like, Yeah, it was like The Wizard of Oz or The Shining. Sleeping Beauty. Mm. What, did, you, did you have any other examples? Not off the top of my head. I wrote down two. Okay. <laughs> that, that, we've come to three. We've done good. 
Um, yep. In the time it came out, which was uh, December 1966, the critics were all about the, um, the... I don't know what the word is for it, but it's Western World Westerns. American Westerns. Westerns made by Americans in America. Hollywood Westerns. Okay. Okay. Everything was very shiny, clean, and the good guys were good, the bad guys were bad, and everything had this cheesy, shitty orchestral soundtrack. Could that- we cut a Western? Oh, God, yeah. They were, but that, that ain't the word either. There's no word for it. It doesn't matter. Um, yeah, all the soundtracks kind of sound like a parody of themselves. Um, and this movie, The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly, is a spaghetti western, meaning it was Italian. Yeah, it's mm, it's it's a problematic didn't term. What they called it. Yeah, and me either. I, I just... thought it was just like a flaky western. See, that was like, that was my mental interpretation because I never expected spaghetti to be a racial thing. Yeah, I thought it <laughs> but, was like a. Like, but I was like, kind of, it's a western, but it's not really. My brain goes to like just a can of spaghettios or something. I'm like, oh, it's just a cheaply made alternative western. Oh no, see, that's I, kind I, of what I, I thought. I went like, you know, spaghetti is like. So, so it's like kind of a western, but not really a western because it's like you know, wiggly. Hmm. Yep. So spaghetti westerns, unlike the um the Hollywood interpretation of a western film, um they're gritty, gory, ugly, and never shy away for about how shit the old west must have been. Hmm. I think that's um a lot of the Americanized ones because you know they're all about um. The heyday. What what is it? The frontier. People not idolized it because it's a time and not a person. Walt Disney used to do it a lot. I I know that you're trying to get something out of me, but I don't know what. I don't know what the word is. They um. Final frontier. No no no. No, I'm thinking of a description word. Like they looked at it through like rose colored glasses. Uh, Everything was glorious and awesome, and we're going to build a cheeseburger in in like forty years. You know how American history is sometimes very, like, glossed over and simple <laughs> and not tragic and sad and awful all the time? Yes. Yes, I do. Yeah, well, normal Westerns were doing that and Spaghetti Westerns were like, no, it was probably shit. Everyone had, like, open wounds and was gross. Yeah. <laughs> no one bathed. Um, yeah, uh, the protagonists in it weren't clear-cut either, which we'll come back around later in my notes. Uh, this movie... Um, the third in the dollar trilogy, you have for a few... Do- no, you have Fistful of Dollars, sorry. You have a fl- few dollars more, and then you have The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly. Okay. Um, it was... They were all directed, sorry, by Sergio Leone. Uh, this one... I don't know about all the other ones. I didn't check. But this one was written by... I even practiced these, but it was a week ago. Anginore in... Oh, in Croce. <laughs> Let's go with that. Agonor. Um, and Very Italian men. Yes. There's no way to pronounce these without sounding like a horrific racial stereotype. But I feel like that's what I'm supposed to do well, with them. You're and Italian, you... so technically. But I still can't do it looking at them. Yeah, but it's fine because Encourage you're not you. being like culturally insensitive. Yep. You're just being moral. My fucking granddad's turning in his grave. Agonore Incrossi. Um, Furio Scarpelli and Luciano Vincino. Vin- oh shit! There's a Z in here. 
Vincenzoni. <laughs> Let's go. I think I've done it. I've done enough here. Yep. Look, they all sound like pasta dishes to me. I would eat them. Happy. They all have to sound like something Super Mario says when he falls down. Um, something that kind of makes sense is that Aganore and Furio um, usually wrote satirical films. Like, something that made this movie special and stood the test of time was the fact that it hit a shitload of the classic Western tropes, but took them in unique and unexpected ways. Yeah. Um... Because it would have made them different to even the spaghetti westerns that were coming out. Yeah, because um, it, it did stuff that was in all of them, but just I described. I didn't write it down, but I described it sort of as like the Rick and Morty of westerns because it would hit classic bullshit tropes like Voltron recently and other examples before Voltron, but it would do something odd with them. Yeah, and you know it makes it unique. Although most of Rick and Morty I've seen in Ugly Americans, but that's fine. Listen to our Ugly Americans episode for that. You're um, ready for it to turn right, but it just goes left. That's exactly right. It zags when it should have zigs. Um, the other person to credit before the cast is Ennio Monacone. That, that felt natural. That felt okay. I'm happier with that one than the others. Um, remember how I said American Westerns had that stuffy, shitty music that would be better suited to Frontierland at Disney? Mm. Um, the soundtrack found here, and indeed all three of the Dollar tr- movies, is unique, strange, and very iconic. Very, very iconic. Probably more iconic than the films themselves. Shit, Ecstasy of Gold was recently a trend on TikTok. A song from a 1966 cowboy movie. <laughs> I don't think the people knew what they were referencing. I think they were just referencing other TikToks. Whoever, I, know, I knew the music more than I knew what it was mm. from. Yeah, but whoever was the first guy to do that. <laughs> yeah. Due to a technical difficulty, we have learnt that putting blankets everywhere around the recording equipment has made the cat want to sit on all the recording equipment. <laughs> we should, why didn't we see that one coming? Oh, she's going to pull that down too. <laughs> How's about you just sit really still for like 45 minutes? But these are her blankies. I'm going to have to invest in more fucking blankies. Or soundproof equipment, like an adult. I <laughs> told you for my birthday, I want a playpen. You're getting a pillow for when we're recording in it. All right. So the cast. Um, there is like three that matter here. So let's just hit them as the movie introduces them, eh? Sound yeah. good? Um, a lot of the other actors are either Italian or Spanish. And don't speak English. Isn't Did that, like, come off fascinating to you? That the main characters talk and the sound looks right and then everyone else has weird dubbing over the top of their incorrect <laughs> lip syncing? Until you pointed out the fact that they're not American, I didn't mm. realise they weren't American. I think it's because all the main dialogue is said by American actors. I think I think that's why. You don't notice as much on the other characters until you notice it. Yeah. It's, just, it's so weird. Um, one, of the, one of the dudes in this, Eli uh, Wallach, he wasn't good at speaking Italian. Mm. And the filmmakers weren't good at speaking English. So they'd both been learning French, so they would talk to each other in French. I mean, I suppose that's halfway. Yeah, there's a good compromise. But yeah, there's... It'd be a hard set to work on, I think. 
there's there's East Germans working on this as well, even. Like, there's people everywhere, and they're all different dialects. Well, it's very similar to um, in A Knight's Tale. Mm. Um, there's a section where, because all of their extras were, I want to say, like, Portuguese or something. They were, they were told when he finishes his monologue, mm-hmm. cheer. Yeah. And he takes a dramatic pause halfway through. <laughs> yeah. And so they go to start cheering, and then he keeps talking, and they're instantly like, oh, "Is that is that like oh, a thing crap. in the background, or is yeah, that like you, a trivia?" You watch them all like go to like cheer, and then they like quickly put their hands down. And I wish one guy to, committed to it. <laughs> no, he gets to the end of his thing, and he's like looking around for them to cheer, and they're like waiting for him to start talking again. So we had to look at another one of the English actors, and he goes. Yeah, and then everyone's like, "Oh yes!" Everyone agrees, <laughs> like, and it made like the scene. Isn't that movie like half good? It's great. Yeah, but at the same time, it's like y'all fucked up. Yeah. Um. All right. So the good, the bad, and the ugly begins with classic opening credits. Kai, do you have a favorite of these? You know, like that. Can you describe them? Being a Disney person, you would know these better than anyone. So, in order to, like, make sure everyone got credited correctly, credits used to come at the start of the film. Because why would you put them at the end? No one's going to sit around for that. Well, it wasn't (laughs) only that. It was so everyone got credited correctly. And, like, they didn't have... Normally, you would play two or three shorts, Mm. and then the film would start. Yeah. And so, it was like, you're... You better get, like, settled in, and, you know, if you've got to do anything, do anything then. Um... And because that meant that everyone was sitting there watching them, they made sure that they had either parts to the story in it or, like, set up the atmosphere so that you knew what kind of film you were expecting. Mm. Um, So a lot of the old Disney films did it. I think Um, part of the reason they dropped off is probably because the credits go for, like, six hours at this point. (laughs) Back then there was, like... A dozen people, and that was good enough. When credits were getting kind of on that bigger end, sometimes I would put, like, your leading people at the beginning. Yeah, and then they... And then put the rest of the people at the end. Much like Batman does. Yeah. Because they have their, like, the leading characters and whoever that week's filling up always in the credit, Mm. like, title. But then you have everyone else at the end. 101 Dalmatians one from the 60s is pretty memorable. Yeah. That's yeah. a really is good one. Is that one of your favourites? I, I would say my... Probably. F- I feel like Deadpool had a really good one. Yeah. When it was just like almost... It, it was such a slow motion, it was almost time had stopped. Of him like in the car crash. And then most of the credits in it were wrong anyway. Um, But my personal favourite is probably Lesbian Vampire Killers. The one that has, like, crying blood blaring and you see all the cast and it spoils some of the movie, which feels very, like, on brand. I do, I do like I know that. it's not similar, like, it's not credits as much, mm. um, but I did like what they did with, like, the Marvel one for Black Panther when they updated it, and it's all the different scenes of Chad and Boswick. Yeah. I think that's really cool. And it's in that same vein of, you know... Crediting the people up front. Yeah, if you want to talk about memoriams, this is not, like, the time and place thematically, but I don't feel like I've told this story on the podcast, that it's one of those humiliating ones that I was thinking about recently. Mm. 
after the tribute bit at the end of one of the Fast and Furious movies, there was all the Paul Walker stuff. After that ending, I walked out of the theater and I called my dad to tell him I loved him. <laughs> Yeah, those movies are very him, even down to those specific Converse sneakers that he wears. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> that's just a confession that I'm just going to s- sneak on in when I have the chance here. All right, so this one, um, GBU, I'm going to call it because I'm sick of saying it. Yep, Game Boys United. Um, this one shows images of what's to come without revealing anything. It does a good job of, like, just re- it, fi- it looks like stock imagery. But it hits all those marks, kind of like how Batman Beyond's theme intro looked like the most confusing shit ever. Until you watch all of season one, you're like, oh, that's that, that's that, that's that. Yeah. Um, the theme song plays. Um, supposedly replicating coyotes or, or hyenas or something. I don't need to explain it because everyone knows that one. Yeah. It's the... <laughs> yeah, that one. <laughs> Good work, buddy. We're, we're almost good enough to be copyright infringing. Almost. Not quite. <laughs> I knew what you were after. <laughs> um, so, yeah. Um, everyone's heard that one, I think. Whether you've seen the movie or not, everyone knows that one. Yeah. Um, so, afterwards, the movie actually starts and you're greeted by a close-up, dirty, gross man face. Again, American Westerns might look like Woody's fucking roundup, but Spaghetti Westerns were Red Dead Redemption vibes. Which is funny because spaghettis were like the shittier version, but as time has gone on, that grit of the old west has become so much more popular. Well, that's I feel. That's like... why I was trying to find a better reference than Woody's Roundup to like clean cowboy stuff, and yeah. there hasn't been one in like forty years. Because that's what it's I such mean, a dead like, art. Even um, Back to the Future when is still playing with this movie. Very spaghetti western. Um, like it's very. Cl- Clean and colourful. It's Robert Zemeckis, right? Creator of Back to the Future? Sure. Fuck, I hope I'm on the money. I'm sorry if I'm wrong. But he is specifically quoted as saying this was one of the movies he saw as a kid that, like, sold him. Yeah. Quentin Tarantino specifically calls this the best movie. Yeah. Best movie. It's a broad statement, but there it is. He likes feet. There's not feet in this. No, there's not. I think that's his own little fucking bit of razzle-dazzle he puts in his own movies. There's not enough features. That's his one criticism. <laughs> Alright, so, yeah, you get this gross-looking dude. It's... Ugh. um, Yeah, and it's all super tense, up-close shots, or just wide, vast, empty space. Yeah, there's not a lot of, like, shot type in this. Yeah, but it, it, um... It's done on purpose. It's supposed to be, like, look how empty and fucking nothing Bad. this place is. Yeah, and then it's... Strong emotional facial expression stuff. Um, yeah, this guy. Well, and it's probably because I didn't understand what any of them were saying. Hmm. Well, this movie does body language super fucking well, mm-hmm. which um I'll get into later. But that was another problem with Western Hemisphere westerns was that there's way too much dialogue in them. All right, so this this ugly dude and two other men meet in this tiny old west town and together go into a building. Gunshots go off and a man comes crashing through the window. Um, I, I love, I love how it's done. Like the shot pauses and it plays the it plays a little bit of the theme song, razzle dazzle stuff. It plays you know like the the hook, yeah. And the word oh sorry the two words the 
ugly is written in script across the screen next to Tuco's face. I'm going to say his whole name without taking a breath. Tuco Benedicto Pacifico Juan Maria Ramirez, or just Tuco if you like, is played by Eli Wallach, um, and he is a film scumbag. Um, you take every aspect of every character in Guardians of the Galaxy and combine them, and you make this man. He's not quite evil, not quite good. He's, he's our Catwoman, let's say. Um, the way the movie introduces the trio feels very Tarantino in the way it does that, like, freeze-frame stuff. And it, obviously it makes sense. He was inspired by this movie. And now I count my pages. And I try to aim around here. All right. <laughs> Next on the docket, we jump to another vast, empty Old West area. Wouldn't you know it? This time it's a farmhouse. Um, and the way our next the next player in our film stands in the doorway. He stays there for this really long, slow move moment. What's the quote that I'm looking for here? Um, the devil at your door or something like that. You know, do you know the one I'm talking about? It's not a saying or a quote. It's like a turn of phrase. Death is at your door. Something. Mm, I know what you're talking about. Something to that effect. He is doing, he's that personified. Um, he just, the way he like stands there is just to be like, there's no escape. I'm already here kind of thing. At the devil's door. He's the devil at the door though. That ain't it. It doesn't, like, it don't matter. It's fine. Um, he stays there for a long moment. It's really cool. Um, just, he, he's, he's, I I love this character the best. How do you install a door devil? You know what? Stop trying. (laughs) I'm cutting you off at the instructions. I don't even know what Door Devil is. This man in black comes in and sits at the dinner table, like after waiting for a long time for the rest of the family to leave. The father's the only one remaining. And he sits at the table. He serves himself, and it's slow. But not like yawn slow. It's like a methodical, painful slow. Um, he might go by angel eyes in the film, but the dude has those like mean but calm eyes, like a big jungle cat or something. Um, yeah, he, he's like a noir detective. He was sent by an employer to find someone, a man who disappeared named Jackson. The farmer dude knew him, um, and now knows that he's changed his name to Bill Carson. Um, he also rambles on, you know, he does the, all I know is his name. I don't know anything about the cash box he buried. Um, the farmer then puts a thousand dollars on the table, hoping a bribe angel has to go back and stop it. And assassinate his employer, or maybe just leave. But, you know, he's one of those evil men of honor. The honor among thieves type. So he shoots better than Han Solo. It's not just under the table. It is through the table and through the the whole bowl of what looks like wet capsicums or some shit. The food in this looks disgusting. It is the exact opposite of anime. <laughs> um, yep, so he shoots through this bowl of maybe cabbage. And, and straight through the farmer, he dies. The eldest son comes to rescue and is shot down too while Angel Eye scoops up that $1,000. Uh, with that, he leaves, returning to his employer. And then we see his employer, a sickly old man who is bedridden and, like everyone else here, pretty sweaty. Um, Angel Eyes tells him that the name... Oh, tells him the name, you know, Bill Carson, and ex- accepts the payment for the job. He then brings up the cash box buried in the West somewhere... Um, and then pulls a pillow over the old man and fires his gun into his face, killing him too. Well, I mean, you got to tie up your loose ends. Yeah. With the goal of buried gold in them there hills, 
The title is written across the screen, The Bad. He is played by Lee Van Cleef, and I fucking... He's my favourite. I love him. I think he's great. Um, He's a good villain, but he's also a really good hero in the previous movie of the Dollar Trilogy. Mm. He's playing a... um, a war hero that has come home and is trying to avenge his daughter against a, you know, a dude who is um remarkably similar looking to Tuco because it's the same actor again. That's a weird thing about this trilogy. Same cast usually. He, um, Van Cleef isn't in the first one, but they're all playing different characters every time. Okay. So it's not technically a trilogy. It's a trilogy because it's all the same people involved, not story-based. Okay. Yeah. It's not an official trilogy. It's not a Star Wars or nothing like that. Um, yeah, I think his charisma in Fistful of Dolls is why I like him so much in this one. And, and the fact that he's... Sorry, the fact that he's not in Fistful of Dollars is why that's probably my least favourite of the trilogy too. Um, from there, we rejoin Tuco. Um, and he's getting ambushed for his $2,000 reward. Um, three men get to him, and three men are quickly killed by Blondie, or Clint Eastwood. Yeah. Um, it's a neat trick that, like, this is, again, a trope that they fucking pervert. This is one even I could work out. Um, he's got his hand in his coat pocket when he arrives, and the three men are waiting for the gun to be pulled, because, you know, that's what you, that's what you do. You don't fire first, you wait for a gun to come out, and then you fire. I don't know why they do that. It seems dangerous, but you should just shoot things. Um... But the thing is, the twist here is that he just fires at them. There's no pocket in the coat. It's just a hole. Yeah. So he's just he's already holding the gun. <laughs> so they're waiting for him to pull his hand out, but he just goes... Pew, pew, pew. Yeah, and they're like, oh, what the fuck? <laughs> then they're dead. It's not. <laughs> yeah, it's good. Um, yeah, with this, he captures Tuco himself, bringing him into town. Um I love his rambling, angry insults in this scene. Like him just like chucking a wobbly, as an Australian would call it. Um, he, he has a good idea of where the sheriff can shove his wanted poster. He tells Blondie that he's the son of a thousand fathers, which is a very artful way to say your mother's a whore. Oh. It's very classy. I, I was like, doesn't he mean the other way around? Hmm. And then, thank you for explaining. I like it. I like the lot. <laughs> the mother <laughs> the son of a thousand fathers yeah he's so mad and it's very funny when you said he tells he's got an idea of where the sheriff could put his thing he, he, he doesn't say what? stick it in your ass but it's the most classily implied shove that shit up your ass I've ever heard much much to your dismay I'm just thinking of um Flynn Rider from Tangled he's like I never get my nose right Oh, you know, yeah, you're way off the <laughs> off the beaten trail there. Um, so we jump ahead, probably the same day to Tuco's hanging. Uh, during this extensive list of crimes, from a vantage point, Blondie shoots the rope, um, and he shoots everyone's hats off. So they scatter and you know run and hide while he and Tuco escape town. They then split the reward money. No. This is obvious. This obviously isn't the first time they've run this scam, but Tuco is getting greedy because he's. You, you've fucking seen the movie. He's a very big mouthed, greedy guy. He's also going to get hung every time. Yeah, th- that's what he says. He wants a bigger cut of the half because he's the one who's going to dangle if something goes wrong. 
Blondie threatens to just miss the rope next time if he wants to keep talking shit. Yeah. Um, and, of course, that very next time, uh, we see the same sort of bit. He's on the rope and the crimes are being listed um, before he drops. One man in the crowd is Angel Eyes. Now, he's just received info about Billy Carson's home location. And he knows, you know, now that he knows the name to look for, it's easy enough. Um, and as he's leaving, he spots Blondie, but doesn't care much. Like, he's got his own goals. He's, he, he, just, he doesn't give a shit about these people. Yeah. <laughs> like, he's talking to a lady, like, as he's passing through. And she's all like, um, what a disgusting, horrible man getting hung there. And, like, he sees Blondie, like, in a farmhouse with, like, trained with the rifle. And he's like, I'm sure that guy has a very, like, a blonde-haired angel looking over him. <laughs> and then just gets in his little carriage and fucks off. He doesn't care. No. Um, Blondie fires at the rope, but it doesn't break the first shot. He gets him down, sure. Tuco is saved and they escape yet again. But that miss, yikes. He is, he gets real greedy about that bigger cut. <laughs> Sort of jinxed the whole thing, you know what I mean? Um, this is when Blondie pulls him off the horse, keeps all the gold, like all the reward, gold, money, whatever you want to call it, and leaves Tuco his noose. The deal is off and Blondie leaves the fugitive 60 miles from town with no water. This is when the good is plastered across the screen. Um, yeah, when the con man leaves his friend for death over a money argument. This is our hero. This is our good ladies and future boys. Yeah. What do you think about that? I mean, he got him down every time before that. Mm. But the fact that our good guy is still just like a skeevy con artist, like all the rest is very spaghetti western, like good guys in a cutthroat horrible era like the old west are probably still like shit. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I, I think... I mean, that- that's the case today. Mm. I feel like that. that's probably part of why the, all the... Critics were like, this sucks, our good guy's a bitch. But But they had everything about this movie going into it. You think about films today, like, that's Mm -hmm. the whole point with Iron Man, particularly. It's fun to have a... He lists off all of the... A swashbuckler, that's the word. Mm. And he's like, I'm still, you know, the best you What's the quote? Feared and respected? Why not both? Mm. Yeah. But yeah, swashbucklers... A word, that's, Jack. a word that's often used for pirates makes for a good character. A good daredevil is a swashbuckler. Mm-hmm. You know? They're, they're fun characters. You're, you are right. But I didn't... Pers- I never expected the Clint Eastwood cowboy hero to be, like, a shitbag going into this movie. I think, I think that that kind of surprised me in my first watch. Look, I know he was supposed to be, like... I know it's the do you feel lucky punk mean guy, but I don't know. I I kind of expected an Americanized Western, I guess. Yeah. Yep. So from there, Angel Eyes heads to Carson's place and waits in the dark like a serial killer and then questions his lady when she comes home. Apparently he had shipped out. That's right, motherfuckers. Um, Much to the chagrin of the critics, this was yet another Civil War-based Western. At the time, they were done to death, but for Leone making the film, it wasn't just a good versus evil kind of war. So we are following characters barely involved at all, just around the war. Mm-hmm. And the message is that war is hell. Like, 
there is no good or evil in war. Everyone is just wearing a badge, you know, like it doesn't make the man wearing it. We meet three leaders in the north side of the war, the Union. Mm-hmm. Um, one is good and fair, sure, but he's also dying of gangrene from a previous war injury. Um, the other is an alcoholic who needs to be completely fucking blitzed just to cope with the horrible bloodshed he is witnessing. And the third is freaking Angel Eyes himself. Sorry about spoiling later in the episode. <laughs> but it was important for the film to say, fuck good and evil. It's not just with its characters, but with war as a concept. Yeah. Like, he doesn't gloss over the brutality evil either. Like, every gunshot that connects is shown. Like, we discussed this in our Robocop episode. Mm-hmm. Did that end up happening? That might have been the one that fa- failed miserably and it got erased. The point being, it was imperative that every gun, every bullet that hit a guy had to have been seen fired from a gun to show how harsh it was. Because a lot of movies, it's just like a yeah, random spray one and then one dude will go, and he'll fall down with no bloodshed. Yeah. This didn't want to sugarcoat it. Mm. If the, you, should, you should subscribe and go through our back catalog <laughs> to see if there's a Robocop one in there. There might be. Actually, you know who would know? Hmm? Our audio engineer. CJ the DJ, work it out. Don't call him that. That's a New Zealand children's cartoon about a little woman who wants to be a DJ and it's shit. <laughs> yep, yeah, so it's all... It's it's not all grim, sad gun violence. Some of it's fun gun violence. We like some fun gun violence. Which is me tangenting into the next scene. In which Tuco finally makes it back to civilization after rinsing in a horse trough. He goes into the town's gun store. Now, the actor, Eli, um, he didn't know shit about guns because he's an actor and not a cowboy. So when the script said to examine the guns for a bit, he just kind of did his best. And it's a great... It's Every scene in this is long and drawn out, usually for attention reason. Yeah. But this one's just, like, weird and kind of funny. In the middle of this movie, like, he's sniffing unfired guns, like, off the rack. He's sniffing them for gunpowder. Um, he's, you know, tossing them around to feel the weight. He, he, like, spins the barrel and holds it up to his ear like he's listening to a shell. And, like, he nods, like, he's like, mm, yes. And he, like, holds it to the, the gun store owner's ear and's like, see? Yeah, mm. But there's no dialogue either, because why would there be? The gun store owner doesn't speak the English that he's talking in. So it's like a, it's not a silent film because there's like a lot of like, mm, and yeah, like there's a lot of like grunts as he examines the guns, but there's no word. Yeah. It is very fun. (laughs) It's the dumbest scene. Like he goes out the back to test fire it. Oh yeah, there is dialogue. Sorry. But it's very clearly dubbed. The gun store owner is one of the worst looking dubs of the bunch. Um, (laughs) yeah, like he tests one out that he likes. He shoots down all the. The little posts in the back and the little firing range. Um, yeah, he, he likes one. He picks it out. He picks out a sombrero he also likes. Um, asks the, the... Again, the dialogue is short but really good. When Like, when it's used, it's used well. He goes, how much? And he's like, um, I don't know, fucking... I'm just going to say a number because I didn't write it down. Like, 200 bucks. And he goes, no, no, no. And, like, there's still a bullet left in the gun from the firing range. And the gun just slowly goes, just pointing at the storekeeper. He goes, how much? And he goes, I have $150. And he goes, how much? He goes, I have 
$500. And he says, how much? And he says, like, I've got a grand. And he said, give it. <laughs> so, <laughs> like, the transition of how much is the gun to how much are you about to fucking give me is seamless as hell. It's so good. Nice. It's really well done. So, I, I should probably <laughs> let on to the fact that you I've showed up halfway. probably the last what? Where did you come in? Did you um, come in at the wall at the bridge or were you before, before that? that? I came were you there in the in the town that was getting bombed? When they were yeah. just like mowing down dudes, it felt like a red dead level? Yeah. Mm. Um I was I showed up when he gets brought in. You were in the bathtub scene, I think. Oh, we were at the oh, jail. Before that. You were in the prison camp. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Alright. So you saw most movie's really long, so I can't gauge time That's and space. Why I was like- I'm like, I don't know like about halfway. Half halfway yeah. <laughs> what have I done? I've squiggled it on that one. So, alright. Sorry, I've got maybe two parts worth of notes. I'm trying to figure out where a good like stopping point is. Where are we at now? Thirty-seven. All right. Oh no. <laughs> um, yeah. So with that money, I assume he assembles a posse. And um, they go hunting for Blondie. Um, this town is bustling with Confederates on the move because there's a rumor that has come in that the North are on their way. Um, like, again, yeah, yeah, there's, like, Civil War conflict happening, but none of our... All our characters are too selfish to really give a fuck either way. Yeah, none of them are enrolled. Yeah. They haven't hijinks, bro. They don't have time for this. You know when you don't read the you know when you don't read the news because you're like excited about like a new pop vinyl coming out or something. It's like that. <laughs> um, yeah. So there's a rumor that the North are coming, so everyone's like shipping out. But while in this town, Tuco sees Blondie's horse parked. Parked? Do you park a horse? I don't think it's on its little rope, but standing at the front of the hotel in town. It's kind of it's it's like a parked car. I don't know what to tell you. Um, and yeah, he ambushes him in the hotel. Yeah, that's a good scene as well. The like the posse sneak in and like with all the marching and cannon fire and shit outside, you can't hear them. Yeah. But there's a brief. Oh yeah, they're all marching, so you can't hear the dudes tiptoeing down the hallway while um Blondie's like cleaning his gun, and they all stop to do a salute or a twenty-one fucking gun, whatever whatever they're doing. They all stop for a second, and there's one extra footstep in the hallway, and it's enough. Oh, no, it's the fucking spur. He hears the little spur spinning on the boot. Yeah. And then there's, like, a long pause, and they barge in the door and all are immediately shot. <laughs> oh, and the one dude who's, like, still there bleeding. Because Blondie has a has this ongoing. He does it twice. But he'll tell the random henchmen how they fucked up before he kills them. Yeah. Like, he goes, the spurs, and then, <laughs> and then kills the guy. And then, like... He does the, again, Robocop, he does, like, the spin and put it in the holster. And then you hear another spur, because Tuco came in through the window. <laughs> and he does his thing that I think he's already done two or three times. There's two kinds of blank in this world. Comments, like, he does them the whole movie. There's two kinds of spurs. The, the kinds that come in through the door, and the kind that come in through the window. Which doesn't make any sense. He's, he's clearly just talking shit, because that's who he is. So, yeah, um, Tugo has him cornered because, you know, the gun's already away and his is out. Um, and he gives him back the noose. That's nice of him. It's a revenge tale. Um, yeah, so during this scene, 
there's cannon fire happening in the background and he's like you know there was thunder when judas was killed too and he's like that's cannon fire and he's like it won't matter to you i love the dialogue in this like i said there's not much but they they worked really well with the i don't know maybe you savor it more there's there's something really nice about the dialogue in this I can't, I don't know. It's, it's a bit like Juno if it wasn't so constant and annoying. <laughs> Everything is a really good quote, but unlike Juno, it's not every second and you want to punch the screen. <laughs> I hate that movie so much. Um, so, yeah, well, so Blondie is in the noose and he's on a wobbly off stool and Tuco's like, I'm not going to shoot the rope and he like points the gun down at the legs of the stool. Um, that's when a cannonball smashes into the side of the building and the floor crumbles out from under Tuco, which feels weirdly poetic that like the other dudes in the noose, but he drops. Um, so he drops, Blondie escapes, he gets out of there. And then there's a a montage of Tuco following Blondie. (laughs) Again, no one in this is perfect, especially not the good guys. Cause he's just like walking along one dirt trail and every single campfire has like the little cigarette, like the cigar butt yeah. left behind by Blondie, who's always got a cigar in his mouth the whole fucking film. He does. Yeah. So every campfire he goes to, and it's a long-ass montage, but every time they're warmer, like he has to light the first one. The, f- the second one, he can like kind of get it running. And like the third one's still embered. Like he's getting closer. Yeah. Um, And we find Blondie in a town playing the exact same scam with a new crook. <laughs> he's doing the exact same thing. Like, he's there on the dirt hill with his rifle trained on a guy named Shorty's rope. Yeah. Tuco puts a gun to his head and, like, he, the jig is up. He's like, what about Shorty? And, and Tuco's like, leave him. <laughs> and they both, like, leave. Oh, no. Shorty got the real that's another good quote because like Blondie just says sorry shorty and that's like the that's the emotion he puts into it like uh, oh fuck well I mean it's just his slight slight inconvenience (laughs) but yeah yeah that's that's to a man that's about to be like betrayed to the point of death yeah but also a a shit criminal and whatever but yeah they march into the desert um Tuco is on horseback with shade and water Blondie is not so much um he's also had his hat removed it's a revenge it's a revenge scene but it's slow again not boring but painful to watch like you watch him march along the sand they slowly add more and more cracked gross skin prosthetics to Clint Eastwood um before he dies though it's weird that the film starts to like build up its pace now (laughs) this far in um a horse and carriage rolls on by um you know tuco like immediately goes to stop it to loot it because he's like a fucking red dead redemption online character yeah (laughs) um it's full of dead confederate men or so we seem as tuco starts pickpocketing the dead men's shit um one is revealed to be alive Mm. and wouldn't you know it it's fucking carson the cash box guy yeah he, he's like, man, just, I need water, man. I have $20,000 in gold buried out there and I'll, sh- I'll, sh- I'll give it all. Just help me. Cause he's, yeah. he's bleeding. He he's bleeding out of the head and he's in the fucking desert. He's not yeah. happy. His little Sim diamond is red. 
Um, yeah, and, you know, he's in rough shape, and he says the gold, it's buried in Sad Hill Cemetery, and he can't speak to say what grave it's under, so Tuco's like, fuck, and he runs back to the horse for his canteen of water, and when he rushes back, Carson is, is dead, and Blondie is sitting beside him. And he tells Tuco that letting him die would leave him forever poor because Carson told Blondie a name on a grave. Suddenly, he's Tuco's best friend and he comes up with a plan to save him. He's immediately like, don't die, Blondie, man. We've been through too much together, man. You can't do this, man. You can't leave me out here. <laughs> it's very fun. Um, and from there, we find Tuco dressed in Carson's uniform and Blondie dressed in another confederate now really cosplaying the Jonah Hex look, who wore the grey at all times, which feels half racist, but I th- he had a justification. He's like, I didn't care about the war, I'm just doing a soldier's job. And that's his bounty hunting crap. He's very sad, he's a monotone guy. But yeah, so many Jonah Hexes are based exactly on this fucking movie. Yeah. Um... Yep, yeah, so they're both dressed up. Um, he's, he's cosplaying Jonah Hex without the face damage. He just looks very dry and crackly. Um, and they're in the carriage, so I can assume Tuco just dumped the bodies out on the side of the road, two of which naked. But they're at a... Um, I have to ask you this. It's, it's a mission or a healing church? What are, what are the... Um, you know those churches that kind of have monks, but they're in the Old West? Missionary might be the person. You know the you know, do you know the one I'm talking about? I don't know about monks. Monastery? No, that fucking ain't it. That's what's more monkey. This, this. Yeah, I've gone I've gone the wrong way. Um. Fuck me if I could think of it. I just listened to a bunch of stuff about the plague that brought up how all the dudes in these things were getting sick because they were helping sick people. <laughs> Anything? Turns out Old West Church is an actual thing. Yeah, what, a cowboy themed church? <laughs> that sounds dope. A ministry? Is it a monastery? I thought it was a monastery. No, a ministry. Alright, well, it's one of those doohickeys. Um, yeah, it's, it's one of those Healy churches. I don't know. Um, inside, we see fucking pretty gruesome Im- injuries and imagery. Um, again, war is a brutal, awful thing, and we're looking at it with just the men. These are Confederate men. They're technically in the wrong, but um, this film takes a great use of amputee extras. Apparently they're called cowboy churches. You know what? I hate that as an answer. I'm not accepting it. <laughs> but yeah. Um, cowboy it... churches are local Christian churches within <laughs> cowboy culture that are distinctly Western heritage in character. A typical cowboy church may meet in a rural setting in a barn, metal building, arena, sail barn, or old western building. I'm going to look up church location. Red Dead Redemption, because that's where all my fucking knowledge comes from. These are abandoned churches, and they're point of interest for collectibles. God fucking damn it. Cowboy ministry. <laughs> ministry, maybe? I said that, and you said that. No, I don't, look, fuck. Right, also, cowboy ministries that hold cowboy church services and radios and other western events. Did they call cowboy themselves cowboys ministry. in the cowboy days? They, they also have radio schools, clinics, or camps, 
These are not churches, as they do not have representing services at representing locations. Okay. Well, I'm glad we tangented, because we have to go into, like, a, a political stance here. Like, yeah, inside this church, we see all these amputees looking horrible. They're not in their Confederate uniforms. We're just seeing horribly injured men dying on their sad little cowboy beds. Um, yeah, it's war is a brutal thing when you look at it as just men. Like, no side is good or evil. And I'm not saying slavery was ever right, God, no. But the fact that leaders were sending men to die instead of just figuring out their own bullshit is the problem and will probably always be the problem. You know? Um, all right, all right, I think I think he I think this spot here is a good um pin put a pin in. Um, anyway, I love the moments in the uh, ministry. <laughs> um, we have Tuco in this place, like obviously the scummiest scumbag in town at this church undercover as a soldier. Wearing a dip. So, yeah, we see so many aspects of this dude, man. We see him sneaking, like, like chugs of whiskey while he's praying in a dead man's clothes for the health of his quote-unquote friend. <laughs> like, everything about him is, like, super contrarian. Mm. Especially when we meet his brother. Oh, no. While he took the bandit's path... His, I've definitely spelled brother wrong because that says brothel, became a monk. <laughs> yep. He, I, I like that his brother, the monk. The brothel. brothel. Yep, fuck me. His his brother became a monk or whatever they are. Mm-hmm. Ministerians. Um, yeah, he breaks the news to Tuco that in the nine years he has gone off gallivanting, both their parents have passed away. Um, there's, he says that Tuco might have had a wife once too. Like it's left vague and sad, but um, but after that scene, we see um, that the good and the ugly are strong, healthy, and head off toward Sad Hill Cemetery. Two men hate each other. One knows the grave, the other knows the graveyard. It's a good rivalry setup. It's like the exact opposite of a buddy cop yeah. system, and I. And that's the setup for the adventure. Should we break this up into two parts? We're at 51 minutes. Okay. I'm a smidge past halfway, but I feel like this is a, a good spot. We're set up now. Okay. We've got we've got Angel Eyes fucking somewhere. We'll get back to him. But he's off. He, he's got this cash box in mind. The Carson treasure. And now we've got the other two. You have the location. Stuck together. To get the treasure and hopefully not kill each other along the way. Mm. The movie is set up halfway through the film. <laughs> but it, I don't know. It feels fine when you're watching it. It doesn't have like a very strong three-act structure. Yeah. But I don't feel like those were normalized until like Jaws and Star Wars and stuff. It's very episodic. A little bit, yeah. Do you reckon they broke it up over like theater showings? I don't know what cinemas were like in the 60s. All I know is... Uh, fucking Adam West Batman. That's a TV show. <laughs> yeah, but that's 60s. That's, that's my entire 60s knowledge <laughs> takes place there, depending on when Jane Wilder's Willy Wonka is. I think that's the 70s or 80s. It's probably not the 60s. There's no way it's the fucking 60s. Um, so, what do you think? 
Are, are you happy? You already do a little homework, a little part one homework question. Part one homework? Uh, yeah. Okay. Okay. Um, I skip ahead to look at it. Um, this movie has a very famous soundtrack. Yes. Do you have a favorite, I don't want to say theme song, I'm saving that as the part two homework, but do you have a favorite soundtrack from a film or movie? I don't know. Or a video I, game, whatever, I don't whatever know you like. I like it, mm-hmm. but one that I listen to on a weekly basis mm-hmm. is the soundtrack for um, Guardians of the Galaxy. Ah, see, I was thinking about that recently because that's why I don't like that film. Because I hate fucking 80s music. <laughs> see, I can play it at school. <laughs> oh, yeah, okay. And it's enough. not going to get, like, everyone knows the songs. But it's not super inappropriate it's songs. It's not inappropriate. Someone at work was listening to it's... Cleaning Out My Closet by Eminem on a really loud boom speaker. <laughs> that song would not fucking play in today's society. My God, he calls his dad a hard F for leaving his mum. That he hates for the entire, like, career. Not just that one song. He's like, my mum's a bitch. No one would ever want to be with her. My dad left. <laughs> fucking complicated guy. <laughs> Okay, great. I'm on on side. Don't worry, I'm calling you out in, not next week, but the week after's podcast episode. I'm not surprised. Here's a little, um, here's a reason to follow if you're on Spotify and subscribe if you're on other things. Here's a little, um, foreshadowing. Women with daddy issues love chicken nuggets for some reason. I don't have daddy issues. I have daddy issues. Crip, look of <laughs> look of clear suspicion at your comment. I didn't have enough daddy to have issues. Let's run through the list. You like those little red cloud lollies, which is another weird stereotype. You love My Chemical Romance, still. Good band. It's not a phase, Mom. Is literally your love for that band because you didn't grow out of it. Phase. That's what I'm saying. You stuck to it. Probably have daddy issues. Daddy to have an issue. You're dating me. I'm not. Mm. I married you. Yes. <laughs> That's way more issues. <laughs> That's fucking worse. It doesn't help your argument at all. Um, my answer came to me today for this one, which is why I forced it into the episode. For um, it's not technically a theme, which is why I'm using it now and not later. I really, really liked the like the hub world music in Bully. Okay. The GTA but for children game. I know what Bully is. Copyright me, pussies. the The little rolly bass is like one of my favorite things, and I could listen to it for like hours. I think a lot of people would maybe remember this tune more than they'd remember the whole fucking game, frankly. <laughs> because if you're walking around the school, it's playing on yeah. a goddamn loop. Yeah. But somehow, like old school video game music, it doesn't get annoying or boring or tedious. An example of that is Kaya dealing with Persona 5. Don't make facial expressions on an audio podcast, but she's having PTSD about it. Yeah, I think... I think that game had a shockingly well fucking built soundtrack. You want to know a soundtrack that has no business being as good as it is? If you know my musical taste, 
Disney show tunes and emo. It doesn't fit. <laughs> it's such a combination. Yeah, go on. The Twilight soundtrack. All four films. Oh, all five films. I, I have no point of reference. I have not watched a single one of them. So you've got... You have Supermassive Black Hole by Muse, and that is, that is my of, extent. You've got a couple of Muse songs in there, which are, you know... That one. That, that fits in with my style. Hmm. But it is a very, like, folksy... Oh, it's Midwest emo. Like. It's a stereotype I'm picking up on my TikTok algorithms. It's apparently a thing. Oh. Usually starts with an acoustic guitar rift and women arguing in the background, I think. I, I don't know <laughs> if that fits, but. No, I don't know enough just... about Twilight. I can't help you. Uh, look, I'll start putting it on repeat. Don't do it. <laughs> but it's a very, like, it's not my style of music at all. Mm. But it is very good background. Again, I've been listening because to the soundtrack kind of, from this movie for like a week now yeah. for some reason. It's very like flowy. Mm. Like it's very like it all start off really quite soft and smooth. Got a good and vibe. Then you walk up to super massive black hole and then it starts to kind of like edge down again and like Have you seen the color corrected super massive black hole baseball scene? No. It's fucking so funny. That was so good. Well, I think now's a good time. To wrap it up. <laughs> oh, we're gonna be wrapping something up. I'm gonna Your bur- cat and a black cat. I'm gonna fucking burrito that cat right now. Um, all right, thank you for listening to part one of the good, the bad, and the ugly. Um, yeah, rate, review, subscribe, follow along because we're gonna do part two next week. Um, I hope you enjoy it. It's a bit of a weirder topic, but it's also like a weirdly iconic thing. You know what I, it is I feel like. You don't know it. Yeah, like I said, like. Instead of doing a Back to the Future 3, the creator's like, let's just do a love letter to Clint Eastwood cowboy movies for a bit. And people hang shit on that third movie. I think it's good. I'm fine with it. Yeah, I like it. And maybe it was disappointing at the time, but if you binge all three in a row, it doesn't feel fucking wrong. Mm-mm. The only thing that's weird about it is when the train starts to fly and the special effects get a little... Yeah. Well. Yeah, that's probably another timeless thing about good, the bad, and the ugly is it doesn't have CGI in it. It's all yeah. practical. We do love a good practical. I'm always about that practical, but I, I'm a household of shitty B grade horrors, which are nothing but horrible latex and fake blood. Well, that's mostly because they can't afford. Good they can't movies. afford to be good, but that also means they can't afford to age in six years when that CGI is obsolete compared to the current. Yeah. <sighs> CGI is ugly sometimes. All right. Well, that's dinner time, ladies and gentlemen. Good night. Thank you for listening. I've been Toby DePaula, joined by producer Kyle. Class dismissed.